All right, all right. Welcome, guys. I am Mike Gaston, and you are watching and listening to The Currency. I'm your host today. We're going to be talking about televising the revolution. I'm glad you guys are around. Thanks for joining me. I'm uh, excited to do this. We're doing the podcast a little bit earlier today to make sure that folks in both the U.S. and Europe and all parts of the world can participate. We have friends in uh, Australia and New Zealand, unfortunately, <laughs> this is... Just, this is uh, the middle of the night for them. But guys, I'm glad to have you along today. We're going to spend a little bit of time talking about brands specifically and how they've been responding to uh, the big social protests, the riots, the Black Lives Matter movement. Uh, and it, it's just very interesting to observe what's been going on. And I get a lot of clients and a lot of folks asking me, you know, what, what do we do? What do we do in times of turmoil like this? You know, if there's some protest, if there's some social or political or cultural movement happening, you know, should we participate? Uh, should we take up arms, as it were, uh, with folks and, and make a statement, no matter what that statement is, to make sure that, that we're participating and being good uh, corporate citizens? And, you know, I've got strong feelings on these things. It's not always that simple. You know, it's not always that easy. But um, we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about that. So today, this, the, the title is Televising the Revolution. And maybe you've heard there was a song back in 1971 by a guy named Gil Scott, uh, Gil Scott Heron. He was a musician back in 1971. And he had a song called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. The revolution will not be televised. And I want to read it. You know, I want to read the lyrics to you. It's a little long, but I think it's worth taking a few moments and reading this thing because uh, it, it's really interesting to juxtapose what people were thinking and feeling back in 1971. And uh, Gil Scott Heron, uh, a black man, African-American man. So he was coming from a place of... Uh, a black pride and, and struggling for black rights and freedom in America back in 1971 to end racism uh, back then. And I just think it's very interesting to hear the thoughts and feelings and heart of a black man back, you know, almost 50 years ago, 50 years ago, is that, no, 50 years ago, 52 years ago to be exact. And uh, is that right? I can't be right. No, 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 it's not right. 49 years ago. I'm a marketing guy, not a mathematician. You can talk to my attorney after the show if you're offended by the fact that I can't do simple math. Folks, I can do pricing strategy. I can do commission rates. But man, simple math, pretty tough. 49 years ago. But it's interesting to hear this guy's heart. It's interesting to hear a black man's heart back in 1971. But I want to layer it against what we're seeing now, because I think if you Look at what he's saying and listen to what he's saying. And you look at what's going on now, it'll blow your mind. So I'm just going to take a moment here and, uh, and I'm going to go through and read this. Now, I'm going to get to some of the comments as we go. So don't, you know, don't worry, hang in there. I will be responding to comments. But let's start out with this little song by Gil Scott Heron called The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And it's really cool. If you get a chance, listen to it. It's almost like early rap. He almost sings it like a rap song. Here we go. You will not be able to stay home, brother. You will not be able to plug in, tune up, turn on, and cop out. 
You will not be able to lose yourself on Skag, the skip and skip out for beer during commercials because the telev- the revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by Xerox in four parts without commercial interruptions. The revolution will not show you pictures of Nixon blowing a bugle and leading a charge by John, John Mitchell, General Abrams, and Spiro Agnew to eat hogmaws confiscated from a Harlem sanctuary. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be brought to you by the Schaefer Award Theater and will not star Natalie Woods and Steve McQueen or Bullwinkle and Julia. The revolution will not give you you will not give your mouth sex appeal. The revolution will not get rid of the nubs. The revolution will not make you look five pounds thinner because the revolution will not be televised, brother. There will be no pictures of you and Willie May pushing that shopping cart down the block on a dead run or trying to slide that color TV into a stolen ambulance. NBC will not be able to predict the winner. At 8.32 on report from 29 districts, the revolution will not be televised. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of pigs shooting down brothers on the instant replay. There will be no pictures of Whitney Young being run out of Harlem on a rail with a brand new process. There will be no slow motion still or still lives of Roy Wilkins strolling through Watts in a red, black, and green liberation jumpsuit that he has been saving for just the proper occasion. Green Acres, Beverly Hillbillies, and Hooterville Junction will no longer be so darn relevant. And woman will not care if Dick finally got down with Jane on search for tomorrow. Because black people will be in the street looking for a brighter day, the revolution will not be televised. There will be no highlights on the 11 o'clock news and no pictures of hairy-armed women liberationists and Jackie Onassis blowing her nose. The theme song will not be written by Jim Webb or Francis Scott Keyes, nor sung by Glenn Campbell, Tom Jones, Johnny Cash, Engelbert Humperdinck, or The Rare Earth. The revolution will not be televised. The revolution will not be right back after a message about a white tornado, white lightning, or white people. You will not have to worry about a dove in your bedroom, the tiger in your tank, or the giant in your toilet bowl. The revolution will not get, will not go better with Coke. The revolution will not fight germs that may cause bad breath. The revolution will put you in the driver's seat. Sorry, the revolution will not put you in the driver's seat. The revolution will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised, will not be televised. The revolution will be, there will be no rerun, brothers. The revolution will be live. Those are the words of Gil Scott Heron in his song, The Revolution Will Not Be Televised. And I just think it's so striking as I'm reading this. Uh, yeah, the song, George is saying the song has 1.6 million views on YouTube. Not too bad. That's right. Uh, it's very popular. If you look in the comments of the song on YouTube, you'll see people saying, oh, this is so relevant for today. This is uh, the protest song. What I find striking, what I find fascinating about this song is what he's trying to say. And like, you never know exactly what the artist is getting at. But I think what he's trying to say here is that this is not going to be commercialized. This isn't going to be some thing that's just used to numb us and, and, and make us kind of just sit in our living room and watch TV while the world goes dancing by. This is not going to be co-opted by brands and corporations. It's not going to be co-opted by big broadcast syndicates. It's not going to be something that we just 
consume as entertainment, something that's brought to us by a commercial sponsor. And this thing isn't going to deliver on the promises that all these commercial sponsors have given us. It's not going to make our teeth whiter, our breath better. We're not going to be more sexy and appealing to those around us. It's fascinating, though, that as I read and think about Heron's words, I look at what's going on right now. And I don't know if you've noticed, but boy, are the brands and the marketers in full tilt right now regarding the revolution. Right now, there are people in the streets rioting. There are people in the streets protesting. There are people in the streets all across the world. Now, I'm not a supporter or... um, uh, an anti-supporter, I'm not sure what the word, what is a, um, uh, a critic of the protests? Quite frankly, watching that video I mentioned the last time, watching that guy get killed was tough. Watching George Floyd die was tough. And I think we have a, a deep problem. Now, I don't want to get too deep into this. I'm just going to say a couple things unequivocally. One, uh, I know that racism is a real thing. I know it's a real thing. I am of the opinion that racism cuts multiple ways. I think it's a human issue. I don't think this is a white issue. I don't think it's a black issue. I think that people are not always kind to other people. They do not treat each other with dignity. People dehumanize each other. We pit each other against ourselves and so on. So racism is real. But that said, what happened on that street in Minneapolis to me is not necessarily racist. Now, this podcast isn't about that today. That's not what I want to get at. But I just want to be very clear. I'm going to be talking about how these brands have kind of jumped on the bandwagon, almost co-opted this whole movement, if you ask me. And I want to talk a little bit about that. But in doing so, I don't want to give the impression that I'm for or against these protests. I'm for people being treated with human dignity. I'm for people having the liberty to realize their best selves, to pursue the life that's in their heart, to care for those that they love, to be able to create wealth, to create value, and to find fulfillment. I don't care what color your skin is. I don't care what sex you are. I'm all about people being able to flourish. That's, uh, for me, as a Christian, that's kind of like the vision of the work of Christ. Now, I know this isn't a religious, I'm making all these qualifications, but long and short of it, I'm for all that. But what I find very interesting, hey, Zoltan, what's going on? Uh, What I find very interesting is this co-opting of this revolution. I think some folks have real issues that they're trying to address here. I've, I've actually spoken to a couple different black friends over the last, uh, we have a couple over to the house at different times, just a couple have come by for different things. And I've, we talked about this and it's like, yeah, it's different growing up in America black. It's absolutely different. And I don't mean just that there's, that there's racism, even the fact that we have all these affirmative action programs makes it difficult because I had one friend won a really great engineering job, but she sat there wondering, was this given to me just because I'm a black woman? And then her coworkers treated her, oh, you just got this job because you're a black woman. So this stuff hangs over people's head. It's hard to escape it. And I'm sympathetic to that. I really am. But this, this thing with the brands, you know, Gil Scott was so strident back in 1971, 49 years ago, that when the revolution happens, it's not going to be televised. We're going to break free of the brands. We're going to break free of the commercialism. It's going to be black people in the streets. It's going to be live. It's going to be real. It's going to be a thing that you participate in. It's going to be a thing that you live. And yes, black people and white people and brown people and yellow people are all in the streets right now. 
but the brands have co-opted this. I look at I look at Nike, I look at Amazon, I look at Spotify. If you've got Spotify, you open up Spotify. You know they're throwing all these uh, protest songs at you, and we've got all the you know the Black Lives Matter, the blackout squares, and whatnot. Netflix, oh Disney's gone crazy with this. YouTube, I mean everybody's going out of their way to make a statement. Everybody's going out of their way to make a statement. And, um, you know, the really, the one that really stood out to me, and this is the one to me that kind of betrays, uh, it betrays what's going on with these corporations, but Lego, I don't know if you heard of what Lego did, but essentially Lego put out, uh, an edict to all its distributors and, and sellers, all the people that sell Lego equipment said, Hey, Lego toys. We don't want you to market any of the sets that have police officers in them. We don't want you to market any. They, they've got this White House set. You can build the White House. Uh, they had a, even a donut shop one where there was a cop and a robber or a criminal, a crook. Uh, we don't want you marketing or promoting any of these products. Now, what's interesting to me there is Lego didn't say we're discontinuing those lines. No, because that might actually hit the pocketbook. We just don't want you promoting it, which is really what? We don't want you broadcasting that we have these products. We don't want you letting people know and promoting that we have these products available. It's almost like they're ashamed of it. But at the same time, they're not brave enough to take a stand and say, this is what we think or feel about this. Just kind of put that stuff in the back room for now till the dust blows over. So Lego makes this big statement to the world how they are against racism and repression and they want justice and fairness for all. And hey, just put those uh, police officer Lego sets in the back room till this dies down and then we'll roll them back out. Now, they didn't say that, but you can infer they'll roll them back out later and, um, and then we'll get back to making good money. That's sweet, sweet money. So that's that's that. So you get a lot of brands jumping on, on board and not just brands. You've got media companies. I mean, you've got a handful of giant media companies pretty much controlling, you know, what we see, think and hear. You've got governments, you've got all the social media platforms, you know, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, all these guys jumping on the bandwagon, and you've got all these brands. And uh, it's very interesting, so different than what the vision, uh, the vision that Gil uh, Scott Heron shared, you know, 49 years ago. So what are we to make of this? What are we to make of all these brands jumping on board? Well, I guess the first question for me is, well, what is a brand? If a brand is going to take a position... And I have clients asking me, I have friends asking me, I have just interested parties saying, well, what should we do? Uh, If a brand is going to take a position, I guess we have to ask the question, like, what is a brand? What is a brand? And for me, I mean, there are many different ways to think about brands. and, And when I build brand platforms for clients, they're complex, there's a lot to them. But in the most simplistic terms, a brand is a promise. It's a two sided coin. On one side of the coin is a promise that the, the, the product, service, the company is making a promise to the market. That's one side. The other side of the coin is the expectation. It's the expectation that the brand creates. So it's a two-sided coin. You've got a promise that the company's making, and then you've got an expectation from the people that want to potentially engage with those goods or services. That's a brand. A brand is a promise. I mean, it's pretty straightforward. And then you got to ask, well, what's behind a brand? If a brand is just a promise, and you think about it, like if you think about Nike is making a certain kind of promise, it doesn't matter where they manufacture their shoes. It doesn't matter what 
color the shoes are. It doesn't matter the various styles of shoes. It doesn't matter what the different applications uh, of the shoes are, as long as they all fit within the promise that Nike is making. And that and that promise, like I'm just shooting from the hip here. This wasn't predetermined, but uh, that promise is agency, the ability to do, just do it. it like their, their products, their shoes give you the ability to just get out there and do it, to be active, to have agency. When you use Nike equipment, when you use Nike products, you have agency. You have the ability to do in ways that other people that don't have Nike can't. You're active. You're powerful. And so it, it, they could fit so many different things. They could fit apparel. They can fit eyewear. They can fit things like digital uh, equipment that would support athletics. I mean, there's just so many different things that Nike could put underneath that umbrella, that promise of agency. And, and typically it's agency as is related to sports, agency as is related to competitive activities like sports. It could be solo activities like running. It could be competitive team sports, et cetera. But that's Nike's promise. It's agency in the arena of, uh, of uh, physical sport, physical endurance, physical contest. Nike could get into all kinds of sports. They started out with, with shoes. It could be basketball. It could be boxing. It could be cross-country skiing. You could buy Nike gear for pretty much anything. And the whole idea is if you've got Nike gear, it's going to make you better. And so that creates an expectation for us, okay? So, so when you get a company like Nike that is basing its brand on agency, then you have to ask the question, uh, well, what's behind that 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 promise that they're making. And this, this giant corporation, I mean, Nike is worth billions of dollars, billions of dollars. I mean, it's just outrageous to think of, of the, the wealth and the, and the power that a company like Nike has. I mean, they, their, their tentacles get deep into sports and teams and, and, uh, finding talent, athletic talent. It's, um, it's really something. So, you start thinking about that. You go, okay, well, a brand is a promise. And we all engage with these brands. The brand is kind of like the forward-facing kind of, uh, you know, it's the face that we all engage with. That's the promise. And that's the, ex the expectation. That's where we have the experience. I buy the product. I enjoy the brand. I'm proud. I want to have the Nike logos up on my hat and on my shirt. I want people to know I'm a Nike guy as opposed to Adidas or K-Swiss or whatever. We all embrace these brands. They become part of our identity. But behind that brand is this multinational corporation with, with tens of thousands, thousands and thousands of employees making billions and billions of dollars. And, and they have manufacturing facilities all over the world, and, and they have products all over the world. They're in every country. Every, I don't know a culture that doesn't know and somehow respect Nike. It's like Coke. I mean, it's one of those brands. It's just global. It's global. And that's a lot of power. And so we tend to not think about that. We're focused on the promise that Nike is making, but we're not focused on the entity that Nike is, the corporation that Nike is. The thing that I find difficult is, uh, you know, Nike makes these claims. And, and I'm not picking on Nike. I'm just using this as an example. I don't have a beef with Nike. And um, I don't have a beef with brands that want to get involved in some social movement. You know, I kind of was on the fence with the, um, the whole Colin uh, Kaepernick 
stuff, you know, when Colin started taking a knee. I personally didn't like that. I, I know a lot of people said, oh, he's brave and so on. I thought, yeah, maybe. I mean, I, he, look, what do I know? I, I don't have a huge, I don't even have hair. I mean, Kaepernick's got a great head of hair. Uh, I don't have half the bank account that he does. I don't have the national recognition that he does. So maybe he felt compelled that he had to use that that um, platform. But but Nike getting on board with him, I thought actually worked for their brand. I'm not one. I don't love it when brands embrace this kind of stuff. But I thought them getting on board with it because it's in their wheelhouse. It's sports. They invest a lot of money in their. Uh, sports figures or spokespeople, Michael Jordan, you know, back in the day. And I thought, okay, um, getting Colin on board or getting behind him, making him kind of the face of what Nike is all about. Because Colin was saying, I have agency. I have the ability to let people know what I think and feel. I have a platform and I'm willing to, I'm willing to take a hit. I'm willing to put myself in a, um, a bad position. Pro-Ed, Pro-Ed Jansen says, I'll just put this up on the screen, but Pro-Ed says, Colin was not only brave, he was right. Hey, fair enough. So all I'm getting at is, and I'm not, I'm not saying I think he's right or wrong, but I am saying he did put his money where his mouth is. And Nike as a brand, I thought getting behind that made sense to me, only because it was intimately tied with what they do. Their promise is all about agency, especially in the athletic world. And Colin was making a statement in that world. It was very controversial. It upset a lot of people. A lot of us thought, oh, he's just the spoiled millionaire athlete. A lot of us thought he's a hero. I mean, people just thought different things. And I think for Nike to get behind that made sense because it was in line with their brand promise. And that's where I'm going with this. You know, each brand making a promise, you've got these corporations, but a lot of these brands jumping on the bandwagon right now with Black Lives Matter, like Lego. Like, I, you know, if I look at Lego's products, it's not like they've gone out of their way through the years to show different races. I mean, most of the Legos are usually yellow people. So I think that's, you know, and I don't mean yellow like Asian. They just have this color, this Lego yellow that all the, all the people are. But like, I don't see Lego going out of its way to say, we want to be multicultural. We want to be inclusive. They don't need to necessarily. That's not a criticism. But now all of a sudden for them to say, hey, look, don't market our police officers, our firefighters. Don't market any set that's got the, the, um, the White House. It's just, at the end of the day, manipulative. It is a bunch of mega corporations jumping on the bandwagon to appease people, to try to get people to like them. That's all it is. At the end of the day, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a grab. It's a grab for your attention. It's a grab for your affection. This is the issue du jour. This is the issue that everybody cares about today. And so these companies are going to jump on board and they're going to try to cozy up to you and ultimately, what they're trying to do is manipulate you. They want to manipulate you and I to think well of them, to think highly of them. This is not brave. When the majority of the population, both left and right, like I know some right-leaning people are really wound up about this and they're like, hey, uh, this is terrible. But most people, almost everybody on the left and almost everybody on the right would tell you, I want black people in America and the rest of the world to have a good life. And I don't want them to be treated poorly. I want people that break laws to be arrested. 
I don't care what their skin color is. And I want people that are living by the rules and agreements in our society to be left alone, to live their life. I think most people would agree with that. Uh, so to jump on the bandwagon right now, it's just, it's just, it's manipulative. It's like, hey, look, this doesn't take any courage. All of society, all of the world right now is saying what happened to George Floyd was wrong. It's a very, very tiny minority that's saying it was right. I've talked to police officers. They say, yeah, that was wrong. Like most people. And that cop got arrested and he's being charged along with his partners there. That's correct. That's how the justice system works. That's how it works. So if the brands were doing something brave, like I think Nike kind of was a little brave at the time when Colin Kaepernick, 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 am I saying his name correctly? Anyway, when he took a stand, that was gutsy. Nike was right there with him, also kind of gutsy. I criticized him a little bit, but on the other hand, I was like, hey, I kind of get it. Uh, but these brands now, there's no bravery in jumping on this. I feel like I've gone from the inbox full of COVID emails from brands that I've never dealt with in 20 years. It's just shifted right over to the Black Lives Matter protest emails. It's like, we're just going to now go from one crisis to the next. I want to read a couple comments here. Let's see what's going on with folks. Um, so Angel Matos, hello Angel, says, if you were there during Nike's early, early days, it will never leave your system. Meaning, did you work there, uh, Angel? Were you there? What do you mean there? Meaning working at Nike? It was at Portland, Oregon. Uh, the Phil Knight story is actually pretty interesting. Uh, let's see what Janice says. Janice says, with everything that has happened so far this year, I personally wouldn't be surprised if we overthrew the government this year. Yeah, I don't, Janice, uh, Giannis, Janice, I'm not sure where you're located. I don't know where you are. I don't know what government you're under. Um, I guess my question for you and for others is, okay, let's say, and I don't know if you're even saying like, this is good or bad. You're just saying, I wouldn't be surprised. I don't hear you promoting one way or the other. My big question is, okay, let's say, that, let's say that's what the agitators and the revolutionaries want. They want to overthrow the government. They want to burn it all to the ground. What I, I guess my big question is, what do we replace it with? And this is the problem with revolution. You know, this is the problem with, with being idealistic. Ideologues are never satisfied with what's in front of them. And, and I get that. That's okay. We all need to kind of want to see things become better. But when you're never satisfied with what's in front of you... There are two options. One is we can incrementally improve it. We can actually think with a little bit of complexity and go, look, let's, let's peel this onion a little bit and try to understand what's really going on here. But, but what ends up happening is the ideologue has their idealistic future in mind, and they're just not going to be happy until they burn it all to the ground. But the problem is the idealistic future never materializes. It doesn't happen. Mankind, I'm convinced, is not capable of creating a utopia. You know, we're always pointing at the other guy. The, the problem is with that guy over there. If, the, if that guy would change the way he does things, the world would be better. But the real truth is each one of us carries the seeds of the race's destruction in our hearts. None of us are perfect. I mean, that's the problem. Nobody's perfect. If there were someone who was perfect, we could look to that person and go, hey, you're perfect. We're going to make you dictator for life. Please lead humanity out of the muck and mire and into the glorious future uh, that awaits us. But the fact is, on this earth right now, there is no one that is perfect. And that's the problem. Ideologists and ideologues, 
they're, they want this perfect future, but they're unwilling to say, what do I have in front of me? What's valuable that's in front of me? What don't I like? Let's change the thing I don't like and let's keep the good. And it's just strange to me. So yeah, let's say we overthrow the government. Then what? Then what do we have? A revolution? We, get, we defund the police departments? Then what do we have? Lawlessness? I mean, it's just, it just it's almost infantile. And, and this isn't about black people or white people. I'm not talking about any race right now. I'm just talking about people that are exercised over this thing. Excised, I think the word is excised. I'm not sure. Over this thing. Um, and they just want to tear it all down. It's like, hey, it doesn't work that way because what are you going to replace it with? Let me take a look at some more comments here. By the way, uh, Giannis is a Yang gang. Andrew Yang for president. All right, so you want to overthrow, but you want Andrew Yang. He's such a sweet fellow. I think he's got some kooky ideas. I think he's got some fascinating ideas. Uh, Andrew Yang for president. I'll, well, we'll see. He didn't make it. The Democrats didn't want Andrew Yang, so uh, there's, there's no chance there. Um, Pro Ed Jansen, who says, I'm Ed to my friends. Ed uh, just shared my link on his Facebook. Thank you, Ed. I appreciate that. Very grateful. George says, the problem is, without the video online, the cops would not have been charged with anything. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and I get that. But here's the thing. We live in an age where you can't do anything without being videotaped. That's a good thing. And the other thing that I'm not convinced of is that, yes, this was a white cop and a black man. And, and we're all just immediately just distilling this down to racism. And there is a racial aspect. You can't get away from the racial aspect. But we don't know that he stayed on his neck because of being a racist. We don't know that. This cop could just be a mean SOB. He, he could just be a miserable person. He could treat everybody. I, look, I've been pulled over and I've been treated like a criminal. Like, you know, you tell the cop, you got your hand on the wheel. It's yes, sir, no, sir. Uh, you know, get pulled over for speeding. And they're just hostile. No matter what you do, no matter how compliant you are, how, no matter how respectful you are, they treat you like trash. And yeah, they're not dragging me out of the car. They're not putting their knee on my neck. Uh, I'm not resisting arrest. I'm not coked up or anything. I, I, I don't, I'm just saying that sometimes you get people who are just jerks. They're just mean, miserable jerks. And they don't treat other people right. And is there racism? Absolutely. But on, on the other side of it, if you look statistically, where is a lot of the crime happening? Now, I'm not going to blame people, but a lot of the crime that these police officers are dealing with are in black communities. I'm not saying the blacks are the problem or that they're inferior. That's not what I'm saying. I think a lot of folks are just trapped in bad areas because of economic situations where they can't break out. We've got to find ways to help people break out and to move on to better things. You know, some people are just criminals and, and good law-abiding people, people that just want to care for their children, shouldn't be stuck next door or surrounded by people who are just criminals dealing drugs and doing things that are illicitly illegal and dangerous for those around them. So a lot of the cops are dealing with these communities all the time and they get callous, they get, they get hardened. One of the things that nobody wants to talk about, and I'll take it away from police officers, but think about the medical community because I think there's a parallel here. But, you know, if you're a nurse and you're in a trauma ward and you just every day are seeing people coming, car accidents and shootings and people are dying in front of you constantly and people are being coming in maimed and mutilated and broken 
and you're doing everything you can. You're pouring your heart out trying to save these people, but not everyone lives. After a while, you get kind of calloused. You're a human being. You're not a robot. You're not, you're not uh, artificial intelligence. You are a thinking, feeling human being, and it takes a toll on you. You can't work in the trauma ward all the time, your whole career as a nurse, and always bring your A game. You can't come to work and just be soft and open and mourn every person that comes in there as a loss that you lose as if it was a close family member. After a while, you develop a hardened, calloused shell. You have to to survive. You get burned out. You get fried. You get post-traumatic stress disorder. And so if you look at that analogy with the police, and I'm not defending the police, but I'm just saying they don't do an easy job. These are not guys that are doing parking tickets all day long, and then one day they grab a guy and throw him to the ground and, and kill him. These, these guys are dealing in the worst of the worst all day long. You know, most people probably watching this, we're not dealing with the kinds of things. We don't live in the neighborhoods that this stuff's going on. And so I'm not defending that police officer. I'm not defending police abuse. I'm getting sick of it. I'm getting sick of the militarization of the cops. I'm getting sick of the cops acting like every engagement is a hostile engagement. I'm getting sick and tired of feeling like my life is in danger when I'm near a police officer. That's not right. But on the other hand, they are dealing with a criminal element all the time. And we have an element of lawlessness in the West. We Nobody, nobody from... From the high earners all the way down to the no earners, nobody in the society wants to be told what to do. Nobody wants to be respectful. We're just sitting here thinking that we're allowed to do whatever we want, and that's not sustainable. And then you've got police trying to deal with that. So it just, it just becomes a mess, becomes a mess. So I don't know all that to say that that situation was strictly racial. And that's the problem. You have this thing where you see a white man kill a black man. Uh, and by the way, statistically, white men die at the hand of police officers statistically way more than black men die at the hands of police officers. Just numerically, way more whites get killed by police officers than blacks. It's just a fact. You can look up the data. You can hate me for it. You can cancel me for it. But it's the fact is. Now, does that mean that the black deaths don't matter? Absolutely not. This is a problem. The black deaths are a real problem. And I think more so than the white deaths. I'm not saying like, well, the white deaths are more important. They're not. I think there's a systemic issue with the way that blacks experience life, the way they're treated, at least in America. And, um, but when we see a white cop kill a black man, we shouldn't just jump to the most simplistic way, simplistic lens of looking at this. I think there's a lot more going on. And I think to fix the problem isn't a matter of burning it all down in revolution. It's saying, let's get under the hood. Let's decompose this situation more. Let's understand what's going on with police unions. Why is it that policemen aren't held accountable? Why are they allowed to do whatever they want to do? Why is their life more important than the people they're serving? Why are they allowed to draw weapons on a guy who's just picking up trash at a college campus and, and tase this person because he's confused by the demands to get on the ground and grovel? It's just insane. Like, they don't know how to read a situation anymore. They, they just refuse to. So there are some real issues. But on the other hand, let's not just say that it's the cops. Cops are human beings. They're people that just put on a badge every day to go do a job. They're just like you and I. And anybody in those situations over a long period of time can get calloused. And I think we've got to work harder. So, so there's that. So there's that. Let me read some more comments. My goodness. Um, Giannis says, with everything that's happened... Oh, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm sorry. I'm backing up here. Let me jump to Daniel. Daniel says, hello, Mike Gaston. I support the movement, 
But what is the solution to this problem? Like, how do the protesters want to solve racism? And that's exactly what I'd like to know. Showing discontent, okay, but I don't see a solution. And I think that's, I think that's part of the problem. I think we're all sympathetic to the protesters. I think we're all sympathetic to the plight of the black man, woman, and child in America and in other countries. You know, by the way, I just have to say, China came out. You know, this, this is like the brands. Everybody's trying to jump on and use the situation to their benefit. So for me, a lot of these brands are just trying to use it for their benefit to get to manipulate people to like them. China comes out and chastises uh, America for being racist and takes the high road saying, well, we hope that America can finally deal with racism. But you know what China did to black people during the coronavirus in the whole Wuhan province? Uh, province there, were, there were blacks living in China. It's a rare thing, but there are blacks. They, they chased them out of their own home. There were black people on the streets that had been, they were there working. They were there, you know, these are professionals. These, aren't, these were people living and working in China. And China blamed them for the virus that was coming from Africa somehow. They chased these, they kicked them out of their homes. They, they wouldn't allow them into a place to get a cup of water. These people were homeless street people that couldn't get out of the country, but couldn't find shelter. I mean, how wicked is that? And yet there they are grandstanding saying, hope America gets sorted out. Uh, anyway, let's see what uh, Ara says. It's like the dog chasing the bone. It catches it, then does not know what to do with it. And that's it. I think, look, there's a lot of anger. There's a lot of immaturity. There's a lot of frustration. I think, look, the anger's got to work its way out. People have to be given the chance to express themselves. That's fine. I don't have a problem with that. Look, I'm expressing myself on this channel. I think everybody should have a platform, free speech and so on. We have the right in America to association, to, to demonstrate and so on. That's great. Um, but at the end of the day, I think we need constructive solutions and brands jumping on the bandwagon or, or rioters burning things to the ground isn't going to solve anything. And I think, I think we all know that. By the way, Pauline Weinberger, hello, Pauline. She says, K Joker. I think she's saying, okay, Joker. Yeah, I like the Joker movie. I thought it was pretty powerful, but uh, I, that, maybe that makes me like an alt-right wackadoo. I have no idea. Um, Digimax Photo, welcome. Uh, Digimax says, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell admits NFL should have listened to players on protests, but didn't mention Colin Kaepernick. Yeah, that's, um, you know, now they're finally waking up to it. I mean, that's the thing. I'm not for or against the NFL's uh, and Kaepernick and all that stuff. I'm not really that invested in the NFL anyway, but yeah, now everybody's paying attention. Now everybody cares. Now everybody wants to make it right. Now everybody is, now everybody's, you know, a protester. And it's just like, you know what? It's the same thing as, um, it's the same thing as Procter and Gamble's bit with Gillette. You know, Gillette came out with their ads about how men are terrible and so on. You know, you sell razors to men, then you kick them in the teeth and tell them how bad they are. But if you look at Gillette and you look at Procter and Gamble, you know, they underpay their female executives. They use sex in their advertising all the time. They, 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 uh, they just, you know, portray women um, as either stupid women that don't know how to mop a floor properly or as sex objects to sell razor blades. You know, like, come out to me and tell me how you're sorry about what you'd tell me what you're doing in your life. By the way, I got one thumbs down. Boo hoo. You didn't like what I'm saying. <laughs> Whatever. I love that. I'm just watching these things happen as they go live. One thumbs down. Whatever, dude. Um, but they, they tell me what you're doing to make things right in your life. You know, one thing that's really great 
Jordan B. Peterson, and, and he's been out of the limelight for a while. I think he's recovering. He got he got uh, he got a little wreck there, a lot of pressure. But one thing that I thought he said was great, which is like, look, all you revolutionaries. Learn to make your own bed first. Learn to clean your room first. Take responsibility for you and for your life first before you're worried about what the other guy is doing. Now, I'm not that, I just think that there's something really powerful there. That's not specifically about the protesters. Get out there and protest. But if you're going to change the world, before you do that, learn to, learn to make your own bed and pick up the laundry off your floor. I just... I just think uh, we need a little bit more of that. So, you know, guys like Roger Goodell, oh, we should have back then. Why didn't you? I guess that's what I want to know. Don't, don't tell me how great you are now. Why didn't you? Take responsibility for be- your behavior. I don't want to hear the PR nonsense. I'm a marketing guy. I know how the sausage is made. I don't want to hear it. I want to see brands that are authentic. I want to see brands that believe in something deeply, have oriented their business around it, and live it. You know, a great company like that is Patagonia. Patagonia has a belief. They're very much about the environment. And why not? Because they're all about getting out and enjoying the outdoors. Mountain climbing and kayaking and adventuring and and hiking and all these sailing, all these things that are just amazing, beautiful, beautiful landscapes to explore and a life to live. And Patagonia has oriented their whole business around that. I respect them for that. I'm, I, I'm not going to go out and buy their clothing because I'm not living that Patagonia lifestyle. But if they want to sell that brand and that lifestyle and, they wanna, and you want to feel good because you're buying that product... I think there's some integrity there, so I'm fine with it because they're putting their money where their mouth is. They've got this factory facility where they make everything out of practically 100% recycled material. They're trying to get their emissions down to zero. I mean, they really put their money where their mouth is. And this isn't just some marketing shtick. I mean, the guy who started, uh, Ivan Chouinard, Chouinard, I don't know how to pronounce his name. You know, he was like living out of the back of a van. He was one of these uh, guys that would climb mountains and they live like paupers, but they just lived to climb and they built a company and it's it's built around the ethos and values that he and his friends had, and it's carried through to this day. To me, you want to get out there and advertise in a way that promotes uh, ecology and environmentalism, and you you want to you know you you want to criticize people that that are wasteful, which I don't think Patagonia criticizes anybody. I think then you have integrity. You're standing on firm ground because it's it's what your brand is promising. It's how you've organized your company. You've put your money where your mouth is. It's it's hard not. To respect that. I'd rather disagree with you and respect you for the for the position you're taking. It's so hard to respect companies like Disney and and Spotify. It just seems so cynical to jump on board and say, oh yeah, Black Lives Matter. Oh yeah, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, we stand. Protest. We've got it, we've got to do better. We've got to do better. Well, go ahead. Okay, no one's stopping you. Why don't you do better? You employ tens of thousands of people. You have employees in countries all over the world. Why don't you do better? What are you doing today? What did you do yesterday? What are you doing tomorrow to make the world a better place? Oh, just the, the hypocrisy and the sanctimonious uh, position is what frustrates me. And, and, and some people like that thumbs down. Maybe somebody thinks because, you know, oh, he's right wing. He's against the protest. No, I'm against the sanctimony of and, and the hypocrisy of these multi-billion dollar corporations telling us and manipulating us to get a nickel out of our pockets. It's just disgusting. It's disgusting. Uh, 
All right, so pro ed, I got to read this one. Ed Jansen says, the two of us are pretty damn close to perfect. You president, me sports minister. Now, pro ed, I love exactly what you're saying, but I would just tweak it. And I agree. I didn't want to say it. I was hoping one of you guys would bring it up. But yes, I, I was asking before if there was someone perfect. I was kind of hinting, hoping someone would say, but Mike, what about you? But here's how I would tweak that. Yes, president and sports minister, but I... I would like to be dictator for life. I don't think president is enough. I think dictator to the, I would be, I would be benign. I would be a benign dictator. And I'm asking for 10 years. I can, in 10 years, I can make the world good. I might need 20 years. I might need 20, you know, we'll see, but 10 to 20 years. And after that, I, I'll give it back. I promise. I mean, I, you know, if things are going well, I'll, I'll give it back. I think, you know, if things are going okay, but I would be I'd be fantastic. You guys would love me. I'd, I'd be perfect, as, as the president says. A, a, a perfect dictator. Everybody says I'm the best. <laughs> uh, I wish I could do a better Trump impersonation. Uh, maybe I'm lucky that I can't. I don't know. But thank you, Pro-Ed. Um, yeah, Yana said Yang would be such a shift from Trump. He would be. But again, I would go back to Pro-Ed's comment. I think me for Dictator for Life and absolutely Ed Jansen for, for Sports Minister because we know that the youth of the world need healthy sporting activities to develop their character and strength and mental fortitude. George says, when I was a child, I saw China beating down protesters on Tiananmen Square. I never thought that my children would see nearly the same in the U.S. Yeah, well, uh, it is kind of interesting. Now, let's draw some parallels. I, you know, and I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm not defensive because I'm an American, but I'm just going to draw some parallels. You know, this was the Tiananmen Square. You had these tanks. I remember, I remember the protesters. I was in, it was in the 80s. I was in high school, I want to say at the time. But um, the protesters now are in the streets and, and the governments, and it's not a federal government, it's governments, city governments, municipalities, state governments all over the country trying to respond and like rein this thing in because they're destroying public property. And uh, I'm seeing some really disgusting behavior. You know, the cops just walking by and just slamming innocent people to the ground. Like, I don't, I don't even want to go there. I don't want to get in defending any of this stuff because you can't. It's just indefensible. This is the kind of stuff where I feel the police departments across this country need to be held accountable, not defunded, not dismantled, not destroyed, just held accountable. I don't think there should be anybody in this society that gets to do whatever they want, questions unasked. Uh, but yeah, it is kind of interesting to see the parallels there. And, you know, the one thing that I was going to draw is a lot of the left has demanded more government. They want more government solutions to our problems. And if you look at China, China is one of those more government solutions. It's a centrally planned, centrally controlled economy and culture and society. It's one big government that controls everything. It's totalitarian, every aspect of human experience. And we've been seeing the West, not just America, Europe as well, and, and uh, some other countries like uh, Australia, uh, moving more towards this model where government is evolved in every aspect of human experience. You, you know, your, your sexuality, your faith, your religion, your work, everything has government tentacles in it, your health. And um, when you get more government, you get more tanks in the street. When you get more government, you, you get your voice quashed and your body broken when you fight that machine. That's why people on the right and the libertarians are saying we want less government. We want 
less interaction and influence over our lives. We want the freedom and the liberty to express ourselves and to live life on our own terms. Uh, so, so, so there you go. So there's that. So yes, I wouldn't, you know, the sad thing is it's, it's, yeah, the way the protesters are being treated, but there's a deeper issue here, which is the government's gotten way too big. I don't think you can just make it tiny. This is not the world we live in. You can't have like this anarchist country. I don't think that's going to work, but um, yeah, it's interesting. George, thanks for saying that. Uh, let's see. George, it's not mainly white versus black. It's power slash rich versus the poor. And I think that's, that's an interesting uh, observation. Digimax photo, jerks and murder are two different things. Jerks and murder. Absolutely. I, I totally agree with you. Not going to argue there. Jordan, SH, on your point about brands jumping on the bandwagon, I guess also the expectation that they need to make a statement. Also, everyone else is doing it. Yeah, that, and this is an important thing, Jordan. I'm so glad that you brought that up, that there's this expectation. And I think for anybody, whether you're an individual, a business, or a brand, you have to live life on your own terms. You, the moment that you feel you have to do what's expected of you by the population, by the public, by the government, by whoever, you've lost control. You've lost the game. Now, if you're a multi-billion dollar corporation, uh, it's not, you, you know, I, I would argue that a, that a Disney, yeah, they feel like they have to because it doesn't really cost them anything. They can come out and say something and then go right back to what they're doing later anyway. So they're, they're huge. But I would, I would advise any of you listening, as you're thinking about your own brand, as you're thinking about your own business, there's nothing wrong. If you want to take a position, if it matters to you and you want to make a public comment about what's going on. I don't have a problem with that. I'm not going to, you know, if I deal with a client and the owner of the company really feels strongly about this stuff, I'd support them. And then what I would try to do is I would try to guide them in communicating in a way that's productive and is in integrity with the values of their company and the promises and expectations that their brand is putting out there and creating. Um, so I don't have a problem with that. It's, it's for me, this, we have to do something because I'm sorry, the world doesn't work that way. And if it does, we should push back. We should push back and say, look, I'd rather you be honest. Uh, you can take a knee right now. You can just be quiet for a little bit. Or you can put content out there that isn't necessarily riot and protest related. Just a few weeks ago, it was all about coronavirus. And we're all getting exhausted from that. Like, I think it's okay to not make a comment 24-7 on whatever drama is going on right now. I guess the big question is like, how long will this last? How long will these protests last? But, but, you know, when you make the customer the king, when you create this idea that the brand is, a, is just there to, to serve and supplicate this, this king, this customer, you, you're creating a dangerous dynamic. I don't think that the brand wants to tell the customer, I'm more important than you. You want to serve, you want to solve problems, you want to create value. But, but a brand's got to have a little bit more to it than just, I'm here to make you happy. Because if you're just here to serve me, then what do you stand for? Why should I care? Why should anybody care? So yeah, a lot to think about. Let me jump to the next comment. Peter Steenkamp. Peter Steenkamp. Sounds uh, stony. Stone camp. Sounds Dutch to me. Maybe Afrikaans, maybe Dutch. They don't select regular human beings to become cops. Now, see, that's the thing. And, 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 then he's, and then he goes on. And I got, I got to disagree with you, Peter. Uh, and then in the USA, they make sure the good people can't stand the racist, violent culture and drop out. And then he says, and it's better not to believe Western news about China. You won't just be wrong, but normally terribly so. Um, 
Hey, here's the thing. I don't think that, I don't know how they choose police officers. I'm not going to say that if you make it through, that means you're a bad person. I don't agree that all cops are bad cops. I know some really great people that are police officers. I have good friends whose, their children are police officers. These are good human beings. These are hardworking families, good families and good individuals. I just think um, like any job, it attracts certain kinds of people. I think some people are attracted to being a police officer that want, that are insecure, that want to assert their authority, that they want to be aggressive. Uh, Maybe they have some issues. Maybe they were abused growing up and they want to now be in a position of power. Same reason a lot of people become psychiatrists and psychologists because they come from a family with messed up issues and they want to help the world because they experience it themselves. All of us get into our professions and work for different reasons. Uh, And and politicians, you know, um, you know, often politics attracts people that want power. That's not necessarily a good thing. Sometimes you get some unsavory characters, but that's not to say that all politicians are bad that all cops are bad, or that all medical doctors are good. You go, oh, well, being a doctor, that's so virtuous. I've met a lot of doctors who are grade A, grade A jerks. I mean, you you would be, yeah, I've met some real, I just don't want to say the word that comes to mind, but I've met, I've met some real bad people that were doctors. So it, it's not the job. You get all kinds of people in, in any profession. Uh, let's see... And, and Peter was jumping in there about the Chinese. I, you know, I don't necessarily listen to the Western media, meaning the big, you know, news outlets, but I think there's plenty out there that China's doing. I mean, China harvests organs uh, from ethnic minorities, the Uyghurs. I know people that have lived amongst the Uyghurs, some missionaries, and the things that they told me that they observed themselves are stunning. So it's not just the Western media. Uh, I've got on the ground reportage direct from people that live there that corroborate some of the things that I've heard. The Chinese uh, government, I'm not going to talk about the Chinese people, the Chinese government, not so good when it comes to human rights. Let me say, let's see what Pauline uh, has to say. She says, I know this about brands specifically, but I have a few friends who have jumped on this apology bandwagon who I know for a fact that they are not racist and shouldn't need to apologize. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. When, when you're being told you have to apologize, it's it, like if you don't apologize, then you're against us. I just don't like these false dichotomies. And I don't think that it's right that we demand of another person uh, a way that they behave to prove to us that we should accept them, that we, that their way is legitimate. We've been told all along the liberal project that that there's room for everybody, that that it's that it's a world where each person can pursue their way of living. And yet now all of a sudden we're being told, no, if you don't say something, you are a racist. If you don't fight this, you are a racist. But what it doesn't understand or what doesn't even want to try to figure out is we don't know what each person does in their personal life. You don't know how I spend my money. You don't know how I donate my time. You don't know how I treat my neighbors. I could be a total prick, but in public make all this noise about how I support things. Or I could be a Mother Teresa, but you see me in a suit driving a BMW and you think, oh, he's just some selfish, wealthy white guy. We just don't know what people do. And so to demand that people behave a certain way to prove to us that they're worthy, that they're to be counted amongst the righteous, it's just immoral and it's stupid. It doesn't go to a good place. So today it's about Black Lives Matter. What will the issue be tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that? 
And how will each one of us be pure enough to be accepted, to be allowed to live our lives unmolested? What do we have to do to prove to the mob that we have the right to lead our lives unmolested? This is just not going to a productive place. And so I stand against it. I just don't agree with it because I just don't think that this is the way that you solve the deep issues that we have to solve. We've got real problems to work on. We have real problems in this society, in the West, and, and we refuse to work on them because we're so lathered up over issues to the point where we can't think straight. How strange, you know, 95% of the American population go, goes through state-run education, public schooling, and strangely, we can't seem to think straight. And almost 99.99% of us are all watching the same media. We're watching all the Netflix programs and the Breaking Bads and all the stuff that we're all watching together. And somehow we can't think straight. We all listen to the same and watch the same content. We've been educated in the same systems and somehow we can't think straight. I had no idea if it's corollary or causal, but somehow there's a connection there for me. All right, Ara, let's see what he says. Ara says... Media. They knew each other. They worked at the same club. Maybe there was an underlying condition which right now is being set aside to not slow down the protest. Now, see, I've wondered about that. I read a piece weeks, a couple weeks ago. These guys knew each other. That um, This cop, I don't know the cop's name, but uh, and George Floyd worked together as security in a nightclub. Often the police officer was outside. He'd do door, you know, like ID checks, or he'd sit in his car and kind of keep an eye on things. And uh, Floyd worked inside, but they overlapped and they knew each other. They definitely knew each other. I, I mentioned this, I think, in the last podcast. I wondered if maybe there's some bad blood between the two. Who knows? Strangely, nobody wants to pick up on that story that doesn't seem to be a factor for any of the news media, but what are you going to do? Um, uh, Peter Steenkamp says, no one in the USA should point fingers at anyone when it comes to human rights. Just don't. Why? Like, Peter, what country, what human being from what country can point a finger when it comes to human rights? I mean, I think every nation on the face of the earth has some dirty laundry. Isn't that just the nature of being a nation filled with human beings? It gets to my point earlier that we're all flawed. We're all broken. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't hold each other accountable. It doesn't mean that we can't call each other higher. That doesn't mean we can't expect more of each other. That doesn't mean we don't even have a right to say, I want more from you. I expect more from you. And, and quite frankly, America's put itself out there as this beacon of hope. And I think for many years, it rightly did so. I think America has blessed the world in a lot of ways, but we've also caused a lot of trouble. I get that. And I think it's right for the world to say, we expect more from you. And I think it's right for Americans to say, we expect more from ourselves. My argument is, let's look at the good that we have. Let's not look at just where we're broken and go, oh, this is terrible. You got to put it in context. It's a fantastic country for everybody that lives in it, but we can do better and we've got to work at ways to do better. And if we're going to do better, we've got to get a little bit more sophisticated. This isn't simple black and white. You know, these are just issues to keep everybody divided. These are issues to keep everybody at each other's throats, to be fearful of one another. At the end of the day, it's about your neighbor. It's like I said before, you, you know, how do you treat your neighbor? How do you embrace your neighbor? How do you work on behalf of your community? And so on. All right. Mike, Mike, Mike. Pauline says, Lula Lamont seems to be really, to really their beliefs. Uh, someone I know who has worked there for a while has told me some of their policies, they walk the talk, not necessarily my beliefs, but who they are. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, Starbucks is trying, 
you know, to live their policies and beliefs, you know, rather than fire people through this whole uh, shutdown where they had to maybe cut back, they sit down with the employees and say, hey, you know, what do you want? We want to work with you. And, you know, so each each company's got a culture and they're doing their best. Um, you know, Peter Steenkamp, you're on it today, buddy. Uh, no, I think being hyper-concerned with the hypocrisy of others is a good sign of hypocrisy. Yeah, I totally agree with that. I guess maybe you're pointing at me. I'm not hyper-concerned about it, bro, but I'm not buying the hypocrisy. I'm just not buying it. Uh, pointing out that racism being a big problem while not doing much to stop it is somehow worse than being an actual racist. Yeah, anyway. Uh, ES911 somewhere. What's going on, buddy? Uh, battery day? How you doing? What do you mean battery day? Battery day. I'm not following you on that one. Help me out, buddy. Um, Peter Steenkamp. Peter, I'm just not going to make you happy. I'm sorry, my friend, but I'm just not going to make you happy. But you know what? You're welcome here anyway. You're welcome to be here and, and be unhappy. You're also welcome to listen and be converted to the greatest truth known to mankind, the greatest thinking to ever grace the internets. Peter, lucky you. You discovered you discovered the mountaintop. Please ask the guru anything. <laughs> oh my gosh. Oh boy. Uh, let's see. I'm just going to um, go through some more of these comments. Uh, Pauline, I think there's a little bit of discussion back and forth between her and Peter and some of the others. So we'll just skip through some of that. Skipping, skipping. So let's see what Giannis has to say. I don't want to keep promoting Yang, but, but he had hundreds of ideas, some of which would really help to address the current issues like police brutality. Definitely worth looking up. Yeah, I'm not a Yang supporter, but I will give Yang credit. I feel like he brought a different kind of heart and attitude and mentality to politics. And he got chewed up. I mean, the media, everybody, he did not do well because of that. But I think, I think the reason that he didn't do well is actually more of a credit to his character than it is a criticism of his ideas. Yes, he's a little, I, I, I don't know, he kind of struck me as a little wacky in some ways, but he was wacky because of the context. I think as a human being, he's not wacky at all, but we're just not used to people being um, the way that Andrew Yang was. And I think it was actually refreshing. And I think that refreshing kind of position caught a lot of people's attention. And I think that Yang will continue to become more and more a part of the conversation. I don't know that he'll ever win. He might not have the, the, um, he might not have the, the, uh, the kind of personality or temperament to, to win the country over, but I think his ideas will become more and more mainstream the more and more that he is in the spotlight. If you think about, um, uh, uh, Paul Rand, is it Paul Rand? No, Rand Paul. Uh, and then what was his father's name? Oh, I forget his name now. But anyway, his father's ideas started to take on uh, some traction with the country, but but he never got traction in politics. He was never really respected as a presidential potential. You know, people didn't think he had enough weight. They thought he was a little goofy and silly. But a lot of his ideas, his libertarian ideas, have caught on, and people embrace them as more normal nowadays. And I think you'll see the same thing with Yang. I don't think Yang is going to nail it, but I think he's changed the narrative and I think he will, over time, have an impact that goes beyond his own candidacy. All right, um, let's get back to ES 911. Uh, boycott, divest, sanction origins for Israel bombing Palestine. DC made BDS illegal with the people. We got to vote our money. Yeah, I'm. I still. Don't, I'm not following you, but um, I, I think this is a political thing. I'm just not following you, but that's okay. 
That's okay. Max Kaufman is in the house. Max, police need better background checks and psychological testing. I would agree with that, Max. But I think even beyond that, you know, we, we kind of go, well, what kind of person are we hiring? But also, what kind of training are we giving them? Are we giving them good training? Are we giving them good psychological training? Are we giving them good opportunities to exercise different tactics and techniques for diffusing situations, for reading situations? You know, you get a lot of adults in our community that are mentally handicapped. They're, they're, they're adults, they're functional, and they're free to be engaged in the society, but they don't always respond in ways that you and I might under stress. And police officer shows up, there's been a number of times where a mentally handicapped adult um, or a disabled adult is wounded or killed because the police officer misread what was going on. You, know, you start screaming, get down, get down on the ground, do what I tell you. And if this person doesn't have the faculties, the mental processing capability and emotional um, depth to say, I, I get what's going on and I know how to behave, they start acting erratic. They're scared. They don't know what to do. And then they end up dead. And so I think this is an issue more of training and understanding for police officers. Their jobs have gotten a lot more complicated. I mean, this is the thing that nobody wants to talk about, but the police officer's job has gotten a lot more complicated. Now, some of that they've asked for themselves. They want more power. They want more tech. They want more firepower. They want more capability to, to track and to listen and so on. But with that comes a lot more responsibility, and we're looking more and more to them uh, to manage our society, which our society is having trouble managing itself. But I think you need some emotional intelligence. You need some training. Maybe it's time to rethink you know, who and what makes a good police officer and, and to be looking for a different kind of person that, that uh, fits maybe a different profile or persona. Ara says, in our country alone, 500,000 police force, including sheriffs, just as humanity, they are simply mixed. See, this is exactly it. The good, the bad, and the ugly has been as such forever. I agree. And I think, I think the job that they do has gotten tough. Uh, George says, simply, all lives matter. I would agree with that. Very much so. Um, I'm just skipping over Peter. Peter, nothing personal, but I think you and Pauline are having a great discussion on there. Um, there you go. The VOC, uh, the Dutch in the 1600s killed a lot of foreigners. I mean, this is it. There's no country that can point fingers. We've all got checkered pasts. Uh, even in Africa, you go, hey, a lot of the slave trade was um, sourced by Africans capturing other Africans and then selling them to the slave traders. It's a mess. It's just a mess. And that's the thing. It's not that I'm trying to say none of this matters or we should, this is all nonsense. It's that I think we all need to take a deep breath and say, hey, before I pick out the speck in your eye, I should probably look and see if I've got a beam in my own eye. And, um, and that is what it is. So, oh, George says Tesla battery days. See, I don't even know that. I'm out of the Tesla world right now because of all the craziness that's going on. So, yeah. So guys, that's that's it. I, I, my big concern right now is just the way that brands are jumping on and co-opting a movement, I mean, a movement that's really rooted in the pain of, of a whole swath of society. There's a group of people that have experienced real pain. They've experienced real racism. And they've experienced the effects. You know, Their communities, like I said before, uh, have higher crime rates. But that doesn't mean that every black person is a part of that. But unfortunately, then they end up having to bear the burden of that. And it's not fair. It's not fair. You know, uh, if a white person commits a crime, nobody looks at me and goes, oh, look at you. you uh, you're part of that. But it's a little different when you're black. And, and I don't like seeing brands just jump on this bandwagon, especially these multi-billion dollar companies. What I'd love to see 
our corporations and brands put their money where their mouth is. And I don't mean write a little check. Yeah, okay, you wrote a check. Good for you. And now you're telling us how Black Lives Matter and you've got your logo, you know, swathed in some black square to let us all know that you're standing in solidarity. But I'd love to know what's happening tomorrow and the day after that and the day after that. I want to know what's happening in your your policies for the, you know, the way that you affect pricing in black communities, or the way that your products are available, sold uh, throughout the world in different communities. I want to know what you're doing to help people flourish. What are you doing? Are your products helping people flourish? You know, I think about Amazon and Netflix, how much time they steal from each one of us with <laughs> all the streaming. It's our own decision to sit there for hours and hours in front of that television, just consuming content. But don't, don't get on your high horse and tell us all and, and look down your nose and, and bully us into joining into your, into your statement of, of faith, Amazon, Netflix, Spotify, Disney of all people. I mean, it's just, it just gets a little tiring. So guys, uh, I don't know that we solve the world's problems, but I love talking about this. I'm very grateful that you guys spent some time here with me. And um, I'm very grateful for the conversation and for the people that agreed and the people that don't agree. You know, I'm just kind of jumping and riffing a little bit. Hopefully you can appreciate this. Hopefully it's useful. Maybe we were able to think a little bit about some of these things. Um, but I, here's what I hope. I hope that as you go forward uh, throughout your days and weeks, you can be cognizant of your life, the good that's been given to you, the good that you experience, and also the opportunities you have to think about people around you and their circumstances. And maybe even think about the people that, you, that are one step or two steps removed from you, maybe communities down the road that you don't interact with. You know, what are, the small, what, are, what are some small things that you can do to make somebody else's life better? What are some of the things that you and I can do in our own personal lives day to day to affirm other people, to make them know that they're cared for, that they're loved, that they're even just respected. You don't have to even give people a big hug. Sometimes you just have to show them respect. Let them know that, that they are worthy and they have dignity and uh, they, they deserve your respect. Sometimes that's all it takes. We don't have to be everybody's best friend. We don't have to be Mother Teresa. Uh, we can, at times, uh, lay our lives down for others when we have to and when we should. But at the end of the day, um, you know, as we go through this, follow your heart. If you feel like you need to get out in the streets and protest, do that. But I, I guess the only thing I ask is, let's not oversimplify this thing. Let's not just make it about white and black. Let's understand that these things are complex and that everybody involved is a human being. The police officers are human beings. The politicians are human beings. You and I are human beings. That the George Floyd was a human being and the people from his community are human beings. And, uh, and we're complex. No one's perfect. No one's perfect. And, um, and we all need to do our best. So guys, that's all I got for you today. I'm so grateful you guys joined me. Thank you so much. As I say each time, I love each and every one of you. I want the best for you. And I'll catch you guys in the next podcast or video. Love you. Bye. Thank you.